Ben from Pastor Ben from City Grace. Um, and I, we actually are deciding to go through a series together. So we're going to be meeting up and, you know, studying second Corinthians together and kind of like bouncing ideas off each other. So this will be kind of a fun experience, at least for me. And, uh, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's a good fruit and it makes my sermons better, uh, as we go through the series. Let me read the text for us. <clears throat> So our passage comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 11. This is a word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God who is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Let me take a moment to clear my throat and mute the mic. and then I'm going to pray for us and we'll start. All right, let me pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you for this time and you know, it is such a strange time, uh, uh, just in life. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, we know anybody in previous generations who have kind of quite experienced uh, what we've experienced the last couple of years. But, um, you know, we want to uh, not only uh, uh, pray through it, but we also want to grow closer to you through it. And, um, you know, we ask for your help and we ask that uh, through weakness, you would reveal to us uh, your strength and you would help us to know more of your power as well. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. All right. So as I mentioned before, we are going to start a new series today on 2 Corinthians. And uh, let's see, just give me one second. All right, so we're starting a new series on 2 Corinthians, and you know this is actually a really interesting letter because as, as the reader, as the person reading this letter, it feels a little bit like we're walking into a, the middle of a conversation, except this conversation seems to be pretty intense and heated. Uh, we have 1 Corinthians in our Bible, <clears throat> and there was another letter that Paul wrote in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and we don't have that letter. So while we don't know the contents of that letter, Based on uh, some of the things that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we can infer some of the things that letter was about. 
And apparently it was a very severe letter where Paul harshly rebukes the Corinthians and uh, he actually grieves them based on the severity of that letter. And based on what Paul says in this letter, we can also infer some of the things that he was addressing. Uh, we know that some people in the church, they questioned his authority as an apostle. Uh, they were suspicious of him. They were suspicious of his motives. Um, they thought he was, while he was bold in his writing, he was in person, kind of a weak person. Uh, they questioned his giftedness. And so it's, it's really tricky because on the one hand, what Paul has to do is he has to defend his ministry uh, not for his sake, but for the sake of the Corinthians and for the sake of the gospel. And it wouldn't be good for the Corinthians to follow what he sarcastic, sarcastically calls like the super apostles. Um, you know, these are people who are extremely gifted, but didn't necessarily embody the kind of character and humility and weakness that befits the message of the gospel. On the other hand, he can't boast in his own accomplishments because then he would sink to the same level as the super apostles. So the way Paul responds is not only incredibly wise, but uh, he also paints a, a beautiful picture of gospel theology. Now, through Paul's response, we gain insight into a theology of weakness and ha that has implications for our understanding of power for Paul and for the Corinthians and also for us. And that's ultimately why I want to look at 2 Corinthians. Uh, I think it would be good to reflect on weakness and no better time than to reflect on these themes when uh, we feel particularly weak or, or helpless. Now, the last time I really studied this letter in depth was when I had to lead a Bible study uh, on this letter in college. And what I remember from that time uh, when I studied this letter is that it didn't really have that much of an impact on me. I didn't quite love this letter and it was a difficult Bible study to lead. And I don't think I really appreciated it back then. But it's only as I've gotten older and, um, you know, having recently read this uh, letter, I guess since the summer, maybe like six or seven times, uh, that I've really come to appreciate this letter. And I suspect it's because the older I've gotten, the more acquainted I've become with weakness. Uh, there's a theologian named J.I. Packer, and he, he kind of wrote a book on weakness around the themes of 2 Corinthians. And he says that his appreciation for this book has grown as he has gotten older. Now, he recently passed away. I think he was in his 90s, but <clears throat> he had a lot of health issues and surgeries with his hips and things like that. And he talks about how uh, he became very intimately acquainted with Satan's ability to generate gloom and discouragement as he became noticeably weaker in both his cognitive functions and his physical functions. And so I suspect this is actually a letter that one grows in appreciation for after having gone through seasons of weakness. And Paul is someone who boasts in his weakness, while the Corinthians are a people who uh, look at weakness as a reason to doubt his apostleship. And through these contrasting perspectives on weakness, uh, my hope is that we can really rethink our relationship to weakness uh, so that we can truly embrace it. Now, <clears throat> as we think about weakness, I think 2 Corinthians will also give us the opportunity to think about our relationship to power, whether it's at work or whether it's in politics or whether it's in social issues, power seems to be the name of the game. And the more power and influence you have, then the more you can assert your will. And that's why power is so tempting. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, a guy named uh, Henry Nouwen. And he says this, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God. 
easier to control people than to love people, easier to own life than to love life. And I think throughout this series, you're probably going to hear that quote several times because it's so good and so relevant to Second Corinthians. Uh, but of course, these themes are going to come up later. So we'll uh, talk about some of these things later. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to begin with the opening of this letter where Paul talks about suffering and comfort. And one of the reasons why some of the Corinthians questioned the authenticity of Paul's ministry is because he suffered so much as an apostle. He talks a little bit about some of that suffering and affliction that he experienced. You see it in verse eight when he tells them about the affliction he experienced in Asia. When he was in Asia, he had experienced serious persecution and uh, the kind that would lead him to say, uh, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, I don't think he's being hyperbolic here, when he talks about the heaviness of the burden or the sentence of death, he literally thought he was going to die in Asia on account of some intense persecution. Now, there's a kind of way of thinking about suffering that says, you know, if someone suffers, then something must be wrong with, them, with that person. Uh, you have an example of that in the Gospels with the blind man and the disciples ask Jesus, hey, who sinned? Why is this man blind? Uh, did this man sin or did the parents sin? And perhaps that was how some of the Corinthians thought when they saw all the affliction that Paul went through. But that presupposes that the only reason for suffering is to maybe punish someone on account of their sin. And I would never want to suggest that suffering is good because it's not. Suffering, of course, is a product of a broken world. And one of the reasons why the resurrection is so important is because it promises a world that is absent of suffering. So that said, I would also never say God can't bring good out of suffering. If you think about it, deliverance from affliction would be one of the clear ways to see the power and the victory of God. Uh, it's like what we saw in Psalm 23. I don't know how many of you uh, streamed the service uh, last week with City Grace, but uh, it's like what we saw in Psalm 23, when God prepares a table in the presence of David's enemies. One of the ways God demonstrates his total victory is when he demonstrates his ability to give complete comfort in a circumstance that is void of it. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here in this passage as he talks about his affliction. He's emphasizing God's comfort. Not only is God's comfort experienced in the context of affliction, but it's also through affliction that God's comfort can be shared with one another. Now, we should spend some time thinking about comfort because it, it's a clear emphasis in this passage. Uh, comfort is one of those basic necessities that humans need uh, from the time we're babies until the time that we die. And, you know, of course, nobody remembers what it's like to be an infant, uh, but we know that babies need constant comfort. Uh, I don't know if being born is a traumatic experience. Uh, I can see why it might be because you're going from like the, the comfort of a warm, dark and confined space in the womb. And all of a sudden you're like in this wide open space full of light and strange noises. Uh, but from the time you're born, babies need to be comforted by a parent, or sometimes they have a blanket, or sometimes they have a stuffed animal. Uh, as a child, you need comfort if uh, something uh, hurts, if you scrape your knee, if someone at school says something mean to you. Uh, as a student, you need comfort when maybe you don't get the grade that you worked so hard for, or you don't get into the college that you uh, dreamed of going to, or as an adult, you need comfort when you, know, you get destroyed at work or if you get laid off or any of those things. In general, we all need comfort when we feel anxious or depressed or lonely or sad 
or hurt. Comfort is something that we just need in life. Otherwise, how do we continue in life uh, and when faced with these inevitable hardships that come to us? Now, as people who need comfort, we, of course, look for it in many places. Uh, maybe it's in family or friends. Maybe it's in food or drink. Maybe it's in uh, entertainment like TV and movies. Uh, based on how the last couple of years have gone, I'm sure you can remember where you have looked for comfort because collectively we were in such great need of it. After the worries of health, uh, maybe of a loved one, or after, you know, really getting your butt kicked trying to manage work and family uh, and feeling like, oh, I'm not really doing anything well and I feel like I'm failing at everything, where did you look for comfort? And did those comforts help? Now, my guess is that a lot of us would probably say, yeah, they did help a little bit, right? <laughs> Sometimes maybe a glass of wine or some pizza or a good movie or uh, venting to a friend, it, it does provi provide a certain level of comfort that helps us get through the hard parts of life. And I certainly don't want to suggest that those kinds of comforts are not beneficial to us because these things, I believe, are gifts from God as well, and they help us cope with some of our hardship. But what I, I do want to suggest that our expectations for what comfort ought to do is probably lower than what it ought to be. I think comfort is actually supposed to do much more than what we expect out of it. Because if your expectations for, uh, of comfort is to basically distract you from uh, your hardship enough for you to get up the next day and do it all over again, or make you feel better about the things that are going on in life, then a lot of things can probably provide that level of comfort. But what if I were to suggest that comfort ought to do much more than just distract us or soothe us so that we can get by in life? What if I were to suggest that true comfort is not only there to help you get through something hard, but it's also supposed to encourage you to lift your spirits, to give you hope, to embolden you to live a life full of purpose and courage and gratitude, even when, in Paul's words, you've received a death sentence then can you really say that you're able to derive comfort from the things that we often turn to? See, that's, that's more in line with the kind of comfort that Paul is talking about here. Uh, one commentator says that the kind of comfort Paul is talking about, it's not just solace or an expression of sympathy, but it's what he calls a consolatory strengthening in the face of adversity that affords spiritual refreshment. Uh, another commentator would say this, God's comfort isn't like a tranquilizer that simply dulls the pain but it's a kind of comfort that fortifies the heart, mind, and soul. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. So in other words, uh, the kind of comfort that Paul received in his own affliction was one that not only consoled his pain, but it's something that gave him strength. Again, if you looked at, uh, if you heard the sermon from Psalm 23, even there, David talks about how the Lord's rod and staff, they comfort him. And that comfort is important so that David can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Now, I don't want to be repetitive, but I just really want to convey the point that the kind of comfort that Paul is talking about, it's so much more than a glass of wine. It's so much more than binging on Netflix shows. It's a kind of comfort that gives us strength and courage and hope to face our affliction uh, with deep uh, gratitude and uh, with a sense of great resolve. That kind of comfort 
only comes from God himself. In verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, if you break down that verse, Paul is basically saying that the source of all comfort comes from God himself. And therefore, if you really want comfort, then the only way to get it is to know the God of comfort. But we often look for comfort before we look for God. And because of that, we miss out on true comfort. Because comfort is ultimately a byproduct of a life with God. And that same dynamic is true. And uh, I think I've said it many times in previous sermons. Uh, We oftentimes look for the byproduct rather than looking for God. And therefore, we never get what we're looking for. We want joy. But if you pursue joy, you'll never have joy because what you should be doing is pursuing God who gives joy. Uh, We want security. But if you pursue security, you'll never have it because you should be pursuing God who is our ultimate security. And likewise, I think that same dynamic works itself out in comfort. It's only in knowing the God of comfort that we will receive the kind of comfort that we need because God is the one who can ultimately comfort us in our afflictions. Now, that isn't to uh, suggest or to say that God doesn't mediate his comfort through other people because he does. And that's what this passage tells us, too. Uh, That's what Paul is saying in verse four. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, in one sense, uh, it is obvious that comfort is mediated by other people. Uh, In a passage that we will look at later on, Paul gives us an example of how this worked for him. Uh, In chapter 7, he's going to talk about how when he came into Macedonia, he was afflicted at every turn, but it was God who comforted him. How? By the coming of Titus. And now Titus was apparently comforted by who? The Corinthians. And so as a result, he was able to comfort Paul. And it kind of goes full circle. The Corinthians comfort Titus. Titus comforts Paul. Now Paul is here comforting the Corinthians. So Paul is trying to comfort them because uh, he knows he grieved them with that severe letter, which he doesn't regret writing because they needed to be grieved. Um, And so now he's uh, writing a letter to comfort them in their affliction. And so uh, it's it's just really interesting that at uh, various points, they're able to comfort one another because ultimately God's comfort is something that is mediated through his people. But I do want to make a little bit of a distinction here. Uh, I think we often think comfort is mediated through people uh, because they have experienced the same affliction that we are going through. So, uh, you know, I I remember a few years ago when someone lost a parent, uh, this person would say, like, he felt like he joined a club that he didn't want to be a part of. And what he meant by that is, you know, people who have lost a parent Uh, They know what it's like to go through that experience and the hardship of that experience and the grief of that experience. And when that happens to you, naturally, you might want to turn to people who not only understand your pain, but they've endured it themselves and uh, they've gone through it. And so naturally, you want to turn to those people for comfort. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. And that makes complete sense uh, because uh, people who have experienced the same affliction, uh, they do know what it's like. They will understand Um, And because of that, there is a certain level of comfort that comes with that. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul means here uh, when he talks about comfort that's mediated. Uh, This is actually kind of a tough passage to interpret. And, um, you know, uh, COVID has hit our household. So this was like a little bit of a a tough week uh, to work and to to focus. But uh, I was trying to think about this passage. And uh, the more I thought about it, I guess 
I had some questions that uh, I didn't understand, and I wish I had a little bit more time to, to ponder it, but I was trying to understand what Paul uh, was saying here about suffering. We share in Christ's suffering, but how do we share in it? Uh, is the kind of suffering Paul that Paul is talking about, is it specific to the suffering that comes as a result of following Jesus? In other words, is it like the persecution kind of suffering and affliction? Uh, is the we that he's talking about, is it a universal we that includes you and I? Or is he just talking about we as in we and my fellow co-laborers in the gospel, we uh, the, my, and my fellow apostles? Uh, so there are these kind of like interpretive questions that I have here. And like, I'm trying to make sense of this. I'm trying to think about what is Paul talking about when he's talking about sharing in the sufferings of Christ and those kind of things. And I thought of a place in Philippians 3 where Paul says, he says that I may know, know him and the power of his resurrection and my, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And I was thinking about what Paul says there and uh, that it's through sharing in the sufferings of Christ that you actually grow in your knowledge of the power of the resurrection. And my, my suspicion, if I were to take a guess, I, I kind of think that's what Paul is getting at here as well. Uh, that's ultimately where our comfort comes from. I think he's thinking and talking about the resurrection. Uh, seems to be confirmed if you read verses 8 to 11 when he talks about the resurrection and hope and deliverance. Uh, when you look at chapter 4, Paul will say things like, we are always carrying the body in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And there, I think he's also connecting suffering and the death of Christ to the resurrection of Christ or the life that comes with Christ. And I guess just to make this a little bit more uh, uh, concrete and practical, you know, Tim Keller uh, wrote an article, I think it came out last year, maybe, um, but he wrote this article in The Atlantic uh, that was very memorable to me. And basically, he's reflecting on death in light of his own cancer diagnosis. And he's, you know, he's talking about, you know, as a minister, uh, death was something that he was very familiar with. Uh, he talked about death a, a lot. Uh, he preached about death. He did a lot of funerals. He ministered to a lot of people who have lost loved ones. And yet, when the prospect of death came to him, it became much more personal and it, it hit a different kind of reality. And so he has this great line in that article. He says, death is an abstraction to us, something technically true, but unimaginable as a personal reality. And so as, as death became a personal reality for him, or the prospect of death became a personal reality for him, he says he realized that his beliefs would have to become just as real to his heart, or he wouldn't be able to get through the day. And I think those are profoundly true and wise words. For most of us, if not all of us, death is an abstraction. Uh, if death is an abstraction, uh, then perhaps the resurrection is an abstraction for us as well. And if that's true, then we probably haven't experienced the level of power and comfort that God makes available to us through the reality of the resurrection. Now, I don't say that to say, therefore, what we need to do is we need to try harder to make the resurrection a reality and not an abstraction, because I don't think it's a matter of the will. I don't think it's a matter of trying harder to make that happen. Rather, I think the way that that happens comes by way of affliction. And herein lies the overarching theme of this letter. That's why weakness is a good thing. Uh, it may be that it's only through weakness that we will ever grasp 
the true, good, and powerful things of God. Now, I heard Keller say in an interview, his spiritual life and his nearness to Christ has really been uh, really elevated since he received that cancer diagnosis. And he said this very sincerely that he wouldn't want to go back to where he was spiritually before he found out that he had cancer because the life that he had with Christ was so much sweeter after that diagnosis. And I think he's being very sincere about that because I think that's actually what Paul is saying here about God's comfort. Through the prospect of death, I think Paul and others, they have had a profound experience of the comfort of God through the power of the resurrection that has brought him to a level of hope and nearness with God that has given him great strength and courage. But how do we get that, right? That's something I think we would say we all want. How do we get that? It's not a matter of the will. It's not a matter of studying more. I think it just comes by way of weakness, through affliction, through brokenness, through the prospect of death. And so that's where we will uh, end our sermon today. And we'll have a lot more opportunities to reflect on that theme. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't look for suffering. We shouldn't look for affliction. We shouldn't look for weakness. But we shouldn't despair in it either. Uh, Rather, what we should do is we should embrace what God offers to us in the affliction that inevitably will come our way at some point in our life so that we can know the comfort of his resurrection. And after all, isn't that the paradigm of the gospel? Uh, Isn't that what Jesus shows us in his death and resurrection? That victory came by way of loss, that life came by way of death. Um, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, and I guess the Corinthian church, they didn't get it because he's talking about these themes again. Uh, But in this moment, uh, in this season, especially if you are somebody who kind of feels like very weak and um, life is tough and there's affliction all around, uh, I guess my encouragement and my suggestion uh, for you would be this, um, find the Lord in that affliction, Uh, find uh, God's comfort in your weakness, because I do think the comfort that he has to offer us uh, is incredible. It's emboldening. It will lift our spirits. It will give us hope and it will give us great courage. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, um, we thank you for this word and we thank you, God, that weakness is not something that has to crush us or destroy us or lead us to despair, but um, because of the power of the gospel and because of what Christ has done on the cross, Uh, our perspective and our entire paradigm on weakness and suffering and affliction can be flipped around, that you are so victorious that you can even turn the broken things in this world that we experience into something uh, powerful, into something useful for you, into something encouraging for us. And that really is the power of redemption. That's your power of redemption, that you can redeem broken things. And so uh, I pray, God, uh, as we go through seasons of uh, you know covid seasons of, um, you know, going through fear, seasons of feeling weak and defeated. Um, I I pray, God, that um, we would uh, seek you uh, in our weakness and that you would respond to us with great uh, power and encouragement. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.